Well, good morning. Good morning. I was talking to your pastor. I think it was late December 2020 since I've been with you guys, but uh, always glad to be here. Always feel very welcomed and well received. Thank you very much. I would like to invite you now to open a copy of your scriptures to Galatians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 12. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. This is God's word to us this morning. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you and the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying, still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Can we go to the Lord in prayer one more time as we look to the Lord for this message? Father, we humble ourselves this morning in your presence once again. We thank you for the means of grace that you have provided to your people the word read, the word sang, the word declared, and Lord, even the Lord's Supper, the visible gospel that has been given to us. We thank you for these means, and we would ask by the power of your Spirit, triune God, that you would move upon us, that our minds would be renewed that our hearts would truly be warmed with the truth of your word, that we would increase in faith. There be anyone amongst us this morning, Lord, that has not bowed the knee to your lordship. Lord, we would ask that you would move upon their heart and grant them saving faith. Have your will and your way with your word this morning. Allow me to get out of your way. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. All the saints said, Amen. Amen. So, you may or may not be aware of this, but in, in certain academic circles, there's a debate. There's a debate about Paul versus Jesus. That is, And it may surprise you, it may not. That is, some teachers 
are pitting Jesus against Paul. And they do this by pitting them with two different expressions of Christianity. Oh, they do it this way, and you're going to love it. On one hand, Jesus represents universal love, upholding the law of Moses and the necessity of obedience. Oh, but then there's Paul. Paul, you see, advocates for faith, for the end of the law, and freedom from works. Jesus is often painted as vibrant, spirit-filled, all-inclusive, helping the weak. However, Paul, Paul, Paul is presented and painted as, as being cold, theologically heady, logical, hierarchical, rigid, and exclusive. Now, although scholars foster such a contrast, it's not too hard to find this in the church as well. In fact, some of you may have heard this or grew up this way, that the, the red letters of Jesus, will they're more inspired. Jesus will be presented as, as warm and mild and loving, and Paul uses, well, that rigid reason logic. The Jesus Christianity is a, is a way of life. It's organic. Pauline Christianity, it's, it's nothing but technical creed of beliefs. It's an institution. Well, of course, we find such a contrast both wrong and it is selectively simplistic. And yet, if this contradiction was brought up to Paul, how do you think Paul would respond? Well, Paul does have an answer for us and what an answer it is. But first, let's set the stage this morning. Let's set the stage behind our text, and then we'll see what Paul has to say to us. Paul and Barnabas have just arrived back at their home base. This was in the city of Antioch after a long missionary journey. Now, we have a very detailed description of their missionary journey. Their labors can be found in Acts chapter 13 and 14. This was Paul's first missionary journey when, when him and Barnabas set out to preach the gospel and to plant churches. Now, before this, Paul and Barnabas were busy. They were busy in the city of Antioch, which became their home church, their home base. It would also came to be their sending church. But then the Spirit worked through the congregation to send out Paul, to send out Paul and Barnabas together to herald the gospel. So when the local leaders laid hands on them, they got their traveling papers. Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, they boarded a ship and they were off. The gospel was going to the nations. First Paul sailed to the island of Cyprus, and after evangelizing there, they sailed north, north to minister to the, to the southern part of Asia Minor. We would consider this modern-day Turkey, which then was called Galatia. Before long, Paul found himself preaching in a synagogue in a city of Pisidian Antioch, where he delivered one of the grand and wonderful sermons in the, books of Act, in the book of Acts, you could read that in Acts 13. 
Yet in addition to the many conversions that they did find, Paul also met up with something else. I'm sure you know it all too well. Opposition. Some of the local leaders, some of the local members of the synagogues there, they they were jealous. So many Gentiles were embracing the gospel, and so they, they paid off city authorities and had Paul and Barnabas chased out of town. Now this, of course, did not slow Paul down any. He continued on to the cities of Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. In fact, it was in Lystra that Paul was stoned to death. He was left for dead. But then, of course, we know that the Spirit brought him back. Nevertheless, despite the persecution, Paul and Barnabas, after this, retraced, now we've got to get a hold of this, retraced their steps to establish a church at each of the towns that they had been. So they're retracing now, okay? And as they went back, Paul would strengthen the souls of the saints. They would encourage them in their faith and appoint then elders in the congregations. They would commit them to the Lord and then they would move on. In this way, when you really think about it, Paul got up and running. Churches for the Lord dotted throughout the entire region of Galatia. Well, finally, after a total of 1,400 miles, some of which covered the harsh terrain of the Tarsus Mountains, Paul and Barnabas made it back home. Came back to his home church in Antioch where they could share all that the Lord had done through them and and maybe, just maybe, soak up some rest and relaxation. Yet with Paul and Barnabas back in Antioch, Their joyful return didn't last very long. You see, a controversy was brewing in Antioch. Paul soon got word that the churches that he had just planted in Lystra and in Derb and other places, they're in trouble. These up-and-running churches, well, they're breaking down. It was a serious repair. They had departed, listen to me, from the gospel itself. Yes, these newly planted churches were turning to a false gospel. And with this terrible news stabbing the heart of Paul, what does he do? He sits down to write this letter. He pulls up to his desk to write the letter of Galatians. Yes, this letter. The mother of the Reformation. Galatians was one of Luther's favorite epistles. This letter, Paul wrote down, or Paul wrote to the churches that he just planted in his first missionary journey. Brothers and sisters, he knows these saints personally, and the situation couldn't be more dire. The saints that he brought the pure gospel to, the gospel of Christ, are deserting it now for a false gospel. These churches now are in a process of falling away. Paul sends this letter then as a life preserver to try and save these drowning saints. So as we look at the text in front of us this morning, we need to understand something. We need to understand that Paul has just finished his his very brief greeting 
and really just wants to dive right in. He wants to get down to business and that leads us where we start to this morning in verse 6. And he says this, you can look at it. Dear Galatians, I'm astonished at you. The very first thing out of his mouth is that he shocked them. This is no positive, optimistic surprise. This is, I can't believe you're being so bad. This is you telling your dad you just put gasoline in his new diesel truck. I'll let that sit for a second. And no doubt, it is atrocious what they did. They so quickly are deserting him who called them. This is then a personal abandonment. This is a defection, a changing of allegiance. They betrayed the one person to join up with the opposite team. And they turned traitor to the one who called them. Listen, this refers to the Father. The Father calling them into faith. The Father calls us into faith Himself through faith in the preaching of the gospel. The Father calls us, how? By the Holy Spirit. Through the preaching of Christ. Drawing us to Him. Working in us faith and obedience and repentance. I like to say it this way. Repentant faith. His call is the sovereign hand taking hold of us. And He makes us His own. In His call, we go, go from being those enemies with hard hearts to being an adopted child of God. However, some of these Galatians have, have stiff-armed the Father and, and they're trying to run away. Many are rejecting the faith and they're redoing it by accepting something else. It's no wonder that Paul is absolutely beside himself in this regard. Here they have given this free gift. They've been given this free gift. That's the best gift ever, for it was Christ. The Galatians didn't turn away from an overly harsh, slave-driving, superficial parent. No, they fled the never-ending, super-generous message of our Lord Jesus. Of course, when you run away, you typically have a destination in mind. You, you have somewhere you want to go. A defection betrays one side for another. So these Galatians, they abandoned the one true gospel to, to fall into the arms of the false gospel. They're placing their faith in and a reliance upon, listen to this, another message. Now, there are a couple things for us to consider about this quickly. First, to embrace a different gospel, we often consider this to be a matter of belief and understanding. Maybe this other gospel, well, maybe it just makes more sense. It seems more reasonable. You know, maybe we, we should just accept this gospel as truth. This is more of an academic action and exercise for many of us. But, but Paul makes this issue deeply personal. He says to turn to another gospel 
is a defection from God. The true gospel, God the Father, Christ Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, they're all together, and to turn from one is to turn from them all. The Galatians may be thinking, hey, we're just tweaking and changing our beliefs a little bit, Paul. No biggie, right? But Paul counters by saying, this is a huge deal because you're deserting the triune God. Secondly, I want you to think about this. By calling it a different gospel, Paul informs us about the nature of this false teaching as well as the false teachers themselves. Clarence and teachers showed up in these churches after Paul had planted them. And he says, look, there are some that are troubling you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. And the core of their message, they're rearranging the gospel itself. For these false teachers, their message is not just some fringe issue then. Rather, it targets the very center of our faith. Moreover, it says that they want, and the text is clear, they want to distort the gospel. That is, and listen to me, they're being deliberate. They are being intentional. Listen, this isn't somebody messing the gospel up by accident. This was not an ignorant mistake with good intentions. No, rather, they're twisting the gospel and they're doing it, doing it with calculated planning. They're doing it by design. With prearranged malice, these troublemakers then, per their purpose was to warp and contort the gospel. Though as he clarifies, there isn't another gospel at all, is there? You see, a different gospel doesn't actually exist. Think about it like this. The gospel is not, listen to me, the gospel is not like a dog. It's not. There are pit bulls and shepherds and poodles and labs and rottweilers and great danes. We know there are a numerous variety of shapes and sizes and colors and hair types, and yet they're all still uh, they're all still dogs, aren't they? This is not so with the gospel. The gospel is more like a special recipe, in particular of your grandma's homemade pie. Hmm. So is it lunch yet? Every ingredient must be exactly right with the precise amount. Mm-hmm. Think about it. If you change grandma's pie even a little bit, it's no longer grandma's pie. It's your pie, and I'm sure it's really delicious. Oh, but it's not grandma's. Mm. So the gospel... The gospel is God's recipe for salvation. And, and like a science experiment, if any detail is off, then it doesn't work. In fact, it might just blow up in your face. You see, the gospel is one of a kind. It is unique. There is only one. Only one gospel. Brothers and sisters, it is not to be tampered with. Indeed, Paul gets serious now. He gets severe. He says this, Even if we 
or an angel preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. If anyone heralds a different gospel from what we have delivered to you, let him be accursed. Here Paul sets forth the gold standard. The Oxford Dictionary definition of the gospel, which is the gospel he first preached. The gospel that Paul preached, that they embraced in faith. This is what we would call the master gospel, and there is no other. If anyone tweaks it, anyone, God's curse falls upon them. In fact, if Paul himself was to alter it, he says that he would be accursed. Yes, even if an angel preaching another gospel would come, they would be accursed. Brothers and sisters, this is huge. Back in Paul's day, many believed during that time in angelic visions and dreams and they considered this during this time to be some of the, the best sources of truth. Like it was, it was the way to, to see if something was right, right? Like the best source of truth. An angel told you? Well, man, how could an angel be wrong? Well, brothers and sisters, I'd like to submit to you an angel with another message. An angel with another gospel. Well, that's nothing but a demon. This is poignant for us today. As you know, with the broader evangelical church, it's quite frequent for, for some people to claim that God speaks to them or that an angel may appear to them. They will even use such personal revelations to mess with the gospel. It's all about their experience. I don't know if a lot of, some of you guys might have a couple more gray hairs than me. It was a while back, and I... I, I I know this may come as a surprise. Every once in a while, I get myself in a little trouble. Okay? So there was this false revival in Florida. And the whole premise, listen to this, of the revival, the, the, the guy that was like heading it up was getting this, these major revelations, get this, from an angel named Emma. Hundreds and hundreds of people were being deceived by the schmuck. And during that time, I, I, I was in a completely different movement. The Lord has graciously brought me out of that. I've got a friend uh, I see over there that came out of it too. And, but even then, I'm like, this is not the gospel. Yet, this is what, here, here's what they take, but, but this is... Look at the good. Look at all these people coming to the Lord. I'm like, Christ is not being preached. He's preaching some weird experience and, and some kind of overly exaggerated bunk that has nothing to do with, with you coming to faith in Christ and repenting from your sin. This is not real. So, brothers and sisters, it makes no difference what an individual experienced, and I want to say this again, it's not about your experience. I don't say that to hurt you. If it's contrary to God's gospel through the apostles, then it is not of God. Rather, as Paul says, it's accursed. Moreover, this curse 
is not a general curse. This is scary stuff. This curse is an anathema. A special curse with its roots in the Old Testament. You see, the anathema curse was the most severe curse as it meant this, to be devoted to total destruction. Anathema is what, what, is what uh, Israel did to the city of Jericho. That's the, the, one of the greatest examples of anathema. Anathema was the fire of the Lord that we read about this morning that consumed Nadab and Abihu. It meant then that your life, listen to me, your life was forfeit, and not just here and now, but also in the age to come. Additionally, the anathema curse was typically very, very specific for a type of sin. You see, it was a sacrilege. That, that is, it, it meant to profane something that was considered holy unto the Lord. These sins were violations then against the Lord's own holiness around the tabernacle. This is significant. This is the curse that Paul calls upon on these other gospelers. So that this means that Paul values the gospel, listen to me, as a holy thing to the Lord. I'll say it this way. The gospel is holy like the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament is holy. It is holy like the recipe for the holy anointing oil where men cannot come with fresh fire to do their thing with their own imagination. The gospel is holy unto the Lord. It is God's gospel. Paul is not messing around here, brothers and sisters. He couldn't be more serious. He couldn't be more somber. Thus, he brings up the issue of who is he trying to please. In being so narrow-minded about the gospel, he's being dogmatic. Who exactly is Paul doing this for? This is what he's, he's getting at. He, so he asks this question. He goes, Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Now, this is an essential question. This is a good question to ask. One that really we must ask and answer. So, so Paul asks again. He asks this question. He goes, am I trying to please man? Is Paul just another man pleaser? To be a man pleaser or a God pleaser? That really is the question. But... But why does Paul bring this up after calling an anathema on those that tamper with the gospel? This is a good question for us to ask. Well, it's because holding to one gospel, and I'm not here to step on your toes, but I want you to listen to me. Will you, will you give me a second? Holding to one gospel really upsets people. The one gospel of Christ or the highway. People do not like to hear this. You may have read it somewhere too. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. People prefer a variety of gospels. It's kind of like fruit. 
We all have different tastes. We've got different constitutions. I mean, if you don't like an apple, you can get a mango. If you doesn't like a mango, you can eat a peach or a pear instead. You see, we like to personalize. If I was to take you to Walmart right now, you could get 26 different varieties of ranch dressing. I'm not quite sure why we need so many, but we do like variety, don't we? So, with this in mind, our own ethos, we understand this, that, that a lot of people want their own personalized gospel, our own personalized Jesus. The one and only gospel, just too restrictive at times. You mean I have to go to church on the Lord's Day? Additionally, this, this pleasing man probably counters a charge. A charge made against Paul. Paul, your gospel's just too easy. That is, believe in Jesus alone. Your obedience doesn't play a part in my salvation. Surely this is too good to be true, the false teachers would say. Surely God requires some effort on your part, some sacrifice. I bet some of you even heard that message. Man, the Lord Jesus, he, ha he has run down the field, brothers and sisters, and he has gone right to the end zone. But it is up to you to score for the team. That's the works righteousness. I've got to offer now something in addition to the work of Christ. Paul's free gospel is just playing with people's desires and it makes you lazy. So Paul underlines that he is, listen to me, a servant of Christ. If he's trying to please people, then he would not be the slave of Christ. And of course, Paul not being a servant of Christ is impossible. And for sure, he is not a man pleaser. Paul serves Christ alone. He obeys Jesus in preaching the one gospel. And so, brothers and sisters, if Paul's preaching is too narrow, listen to me, it matters not. It matters not, for he is serving Christ. If Paul's gospel makes people happy, this happiness is from Christ. Paul could be mad, bad-mouthed, ridiculed, laughed at, they could do blog posts about Paul and it would not matter. I guess nowadays more about Twitter. Just a good tweet, you know. Oh, that Paul, that gospel. He serves the risen Christ first and foremost. Persecution will not deter Paul from serving the gospel of Christ. Moreover, Paul is not a man pleaser and his gospel, as he goes on to say, is not according to man. The saints of Galatia must know this for certain. As he says, brothers, I want you to know my gospel, listen to this, is not according to man. Note though, side note, he still calls them brothers. These congregations are on the road to apostasy. Now we're not sure how far they have gotten. Some may have already crossed the realm over into apostasy, while others well, they might just be at the gate. Some might be far off, we aren't sure. Paul himself isn't entirely clear on the matter. Yet, 
wherever they are along the path, Paul calls them brothers. He, essentially, he's saying brothers and sisters. That is, he appeals to them, listen to me, in love. In love. With the spirit of brotherhood and charity. Now, make no mistake, Paul is doing church discipline here. He just called down a curse on the false gospelers. Yet, I would like to remind you that his motive is a motive of love. His goal is to keep them in Christ. To reclaim them for Christ. Discipline is so often misunderstood in the church. Discipline in terms of the church is often betrayed as, as mean and unloving. It's often seen as the, just the hard, cold truth, but that is not the case. Rather, discipline, church discipline, is the work of love. If Paul didn't love them, he wouldn't even gone to the effort to write this letter to them. He would have said, hey, let him go, who cares? But Paul cares, and he does love. Brothers and sisters, he says, please listen. You need, you need this truth for your eternal fate hangs in the balance. And so they must, they must know that his gospel is not according to man. It does not align with humanity. It is not the product of human reason. Listen to me. The gospel's natural habitat is not the comfort zone of humans. Go preach the gospel and you'll know what I'm talking about to the lost. Economics, technology, and such, these, these are according to humans, and yet the Lord given to us. But, but Paul's gospel is unique. It's God's gospel. Indeed, he clarifies by saying this, I didn't get my gospel from a man, nor was I taught it by a human teacher. Now, to receive it, is for the gospel to be a tradition. Paul was not entrusted with the ancient gospel tradition, nor did he learn it in a classroom. Some scholarly, wise sage did not teach Paul. He didn't pull him aside and teach him the gospel. Now, these methods of learning the gospel, these are not bad, and I want to make sure that you hear this. You see, we get the gospel as a holy, precious tradition. We have the privilege of sitting under the means of grace every Lord's Day, and we get schooled in the gospel every Lord's Day. So this is not bad. However, this is not how Paul got the gospel. Instead, Paul was handed the gospel through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what this means. This means that Christ revealed his own person and work to Paul. Paul had a personal encounter with the risen and glorified Christ in his flesh. Talking about Paul. Paul met Jesus in his risen body. Paul did not meet an angel like Zachariah's encounter with Gabriel. Paul wasn't sent the gospel in a dream or a vision. God didn't speak to Paul in riddles or parables or liver shivers. Instead, the ascended Christ brought Paul into his glorified presence. In the cloud of splendor, Jesus told Paul the true gospel. So, 
an angel or anyone else, for that matter, cannot contradict Paul's gospel. For his gospel is the gospel of Christ. This is why Paul likens the gospel, listen to me once again, to a most holy thing. The gospel is Christ's most holy word. It is his most holy possession, and to sin against it deserves anathema. Thus, is there a Paul versus Jesus? Let's return back to the question. Is there a Paul versus Jesus? Does Paul's gospel, let me say it this way. Does Paul's Christianity differ from that of Jesus in the gospels? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is no Jesus versus Paul. Instead, there is the earthly Jesus compared to the glorified Christ. Let me explain. As Paul preaches nothing but Christ's revelation. So listen to me clearly, saints. There is no verses as Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. The only variation, and I'm going to say this very clearly. I want you to really listen to me. This is important. The only variation between Jesus in the Gospels and Christ in Paul is between humiliation and glorification. Do you understand the difference? Between humiliation in his earthly walk and his glorification as he sits and reigns as king. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he humbled himself under the law He humbled himself under its curse and the shadowy nature of the law. Jesus ministered within the types and the shadows of the old covenant in part. For example, Jesus famously would not admit that he was the Messiah, but what would he do instead? He would do the signs and the preaching would have should have made that obvious. Jesus taught in parables to hide from the stubborn crowds the the fullness of what he was about. Yet, where the earthly Jesus was in part concealing the gospel, this was not so once he was glorified. As he said to the apostles, listen to me, what I have spoken to you in secret, you are to shout from the rooftops. The risen Christ shared the gospel with Paul in all of its magnificent clarity. So let me ask you a question. Is Jesus in the gospels sometimes hard to understand? I'm nodding yes, right? Is he sometimes hard to understand? Yeah. When you read the gospels at times, do you scratch your head a bit? Well, if you want clarity, I'm going to submit, go to Paul and go to the apostles. In Paul, the ascended Christ tells us what he meant in the Gospels. Paul, in his Gospel, then, is not a diversion from the authentic Christ in the Gospel. Rather, through Paul, our glorified King is making clear what he said and did on earth. In Paul, you hear the one true Gospel of Christ. And it is this rock-solid confidence that your faith, listen to me again, that your faith needs against troublemakers who deliberately distort and contort the gospel. 
For the passage of time since Paul wrote Galatians, false gospels have only multiplied. Indeed, the Roman Catholic Church stands as a lavish monument enshrining a false gospel. New perspectives on Paul rise every other generation. It's the same message, just a new t-shirt. They espouse a fresh reading of Paul, but really it's merely a cover-up for an old-time false gospel. Pelagius, Arminius, Modernism, the social gospel, critical race theory are all gospels which do not come from Paul and they do not come from Christ. For if anyone preaches another gospel, they are under the anathema curse to corrupt the gospel unto everlasting life seals you unto an everlasting curse. Thus, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, may you know that Paul's gospel is the very gospel of our resurrected Lord. Let us all cling to this free gospel by faith alone. May we take comfort that it is the Father who called us to Himself in this gospel. May we rejoice that it is the salvation calling that was that is all of grace. All of grace in Christ. Since He died for us. He rose for our justification to become heirs of heaven with Him. Brothers and sisters, we are reminded of this fact as we come to the Lord's Supper here today that's right before us. We, having a reassuring promise that our sins are forgiven because Christ's body was broken. Because his blood was shed for us. Christ did what we could never do for ourselves. So to those of you who have not made a profession of faith this morning. All the benefits of the gospel can be yours. This wonderful gospel promise. That we are meditating on this morning can be yours in Christ. They need to be yours in Christ. And the way that they are yours are this, listen to me, by repenting of your sins and trusting in the person and work of Christ Jesus alone. It is Him, talking about Jesus. He took our flesh. He lived a perfect life of obedience. He died a sacrificial death. He conquered sin. He conquered death and the grave. Rising from the dead, He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we trust in Him. And you do it this way, by faith. And then we are given the spirit of adoption by which we are adopted in this beautiful family purchased by Christ's blood. So I submit to you this morning, go to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit and you will be adopted into the household of God. To everyone here, everyone, Our chief end is God the Father's glory. He has chosen to glorify Himself through the gospel of Christ as it comes to us and it is seen in us. And thus, so praise be to the Father. Glory to the Son for the one gospel, our great salvation, now and forever. All of grace.
through faith alone, in Christ alone, to glory of God alone. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gospel. We thank you for your word. We do ask that it would have its intended effect upon us this morning for your glory, for our salvation and sanctification. We pray these things in Jesus' name.